How many of you recognize this bottle? When I was a kid um, and I discovered that there were purple bags that were used for these bottles, Crown Royale, right? I thought, I didn't yet understand that the Bronfmans, because I was in the States, I didn't understand that the Bronfmans were really so Canadian. So, but I was sure once I found out that they had actually decided that those blue bags were for tefillin. <laughs> and it was, a, it was a bonus to the Jews. Everybody else, they just thought it looked purple and majestic and the Crown Royale and everything else. But we knew that it was really for tefillin. So if you were to take a look in the Chumash, you don't have to have it with you, but in the book of Devarim, you'd find that in addition to the Kohanim, we have a whole parsha that talks about judges, Kohanim, Zikanim, the elders, the Nevi'im, the prophets, and the Melachim. What happens if you appoint or if a king is appointed? And all of them have limits on them. It's really fascinating how the idea of limited powers come from the Torah, but it's really a much later development and when we think of real constitutional development in history. Because the reality is that most, the most common form of government has been the rule of one. And it's usually the most stable because it always goes from one to the next one. But in our tradition, it was always God who ruled, either directly, like at Sinai, or through others, whether it was through the Shoftim, the men and the women who were raised up at critical times of history. Sometimes you get a sense that because God speaks through the Nevi'im, that it is also directly God. But it's not only like that. Uh, when the elders, on behalf of the people in the book of, of uh, Shmuel, Samuel, they come to Samuel and they say, we want a king. And Shmuel is really uncertain, really conflicted, because it feels like they're rejecting the idea that authority is individual, that is anyone can really make their decisions. There isn't a, a monarch, and it's intermittent. That is, you don't have a judge who's a, a shofet, who's the permanent leader. You know, it's as that person is needed and arises. So it's intermittent. But now it seems that the people want a human leader and they want it to be, on some level, hereditary. 
So that's a big revolution that's going on. We read about it kind of anachronistically in the book of Devarim. When you come to the land that the eternal your God is giving you and you possess it and dwell in it, and then you say, I will set a king over me, like all of the nations, then som tasim alecha melech. And the word som tasim, which sounds like a commandment, you shall surely appoint, there's a conflict as to how you understand it. Does it mean you shall certainly appoint or certainly place a king or you may set a monarch over you? So there's this debate about designating a king. Some rabbinical sources say that um, it's a mitzvah to have a king. They're already reflecting post-monarchy for the people of Israel. Um, and others say, no, you may. It's optional. Um, it's through a collective decision of the community that a king is in some way designated by God. Now, I just want to share with you um, something that you may know. Uh, how many of you uh, are um, fans of, of British um, uh, soap operas? A few. So there used to be people who worked here who were British and every day they would talk about Coronation Street. Okay, it's like a big deal. It was a British soap opera that had over 10,000 episodes. The longest running soap opera ever. You didn't know about that? Oh my goodness. And it, it, it's actually a kind of misnomer because Coronation Street is like an inner city um, working class area, right? Well, obviously today there was Coronation Street. It wasn't exactly working class. <laughs> today there's this real coronation and it is certainly not down to earth. Um, Ephraim Mervis, who is the uh, Orthodox chief rabbi of Britain, was asked and invited to come to the coronation. And he's Shabbat observant. So he said, I, I can't walk there unless I'm nearby. So the king said, please stay in St. James Palace. That's my other place. You're, you know, be my house guest. We'll make sure that there's all kinds of kosher food for you. So he got up, he went to the 6 a.m. minion at Marble Arch Synagogue. Marble Arch never has a 6 a.m. minion. And he walked from there to Westminster Abbey to participate in the coronation of King Charles, what number? The third, okay. But in advance of that, he actually wrote about it. He wrote about being invited, and he wrote about how um, uh, he was invited and all the arrangements, and then he wrote about another coronation. And I want to just share with you what he reminded people about. That when Richard I was um, crowned in 1089, just a few years ago, in case anybody wonders whether Jews have long memories, 
When Richard I was crowned, Jews were told, you are not invited to the coronation. Okay. But they showed up to at least bring gifts to the king. And then they were attacked. And then arsonists set fire to the Jewish homes. And some Jews were immediately or forcibly converted. And others, some were given sanctuary in the Tower of London, but at least 30 other Jews were murdered. And that set off something that in 1190, the next year, the entire Jewish community of York, which at that point probably was 150,000, 150 Jews. We are in, you know, York, North York, East York, uh, all of that York. Um, 150 Jews were killed after an accusation of ritual murder. And subsequently, all Jews were exiled from England. So I want you to, re he, so he, he, he's like saying, look at our history here. Look at what that means. And then he wrote the following. These tragic events stand in sharp contrast to our experience as Jews in 21st century Britain. King Charles wanted represent, we call him Charlie, wanted representatives of the Jewish community and other minority faith communities to be present for the coronation service and establish an opportunity after the coronation service for faith leaders to be incorporated into the formal proceedings. At every stage, the palace has been sensitive to the requirements of halakha, of Jewish law, when considering how best to include us. Uh, he also indicated that uh, he and uh, his wife were baking chocolate chip cookies to bring to the king. <laughs> now, he didn't mention it, but I'm sure that when he was there, he will, or would have now, because it's after the fact, recited a special bracha, a special blessing, which is called Birkat HaMelech, the blessing that is recited upon seeing a monarch. The Talmud teaches that when we experience certain moments, sensory moments often, we pause to acknowledge God. You don't have it in the Shabbat Sidur, but in the weekday Sidur, on page, beginning on page 222, you see a whole list of what are called birkot nehenin, brachot of gratitude. There's a bracha when you see lightning, when you see shooting stars, when you see deserts, when you see high mountains, when you see a spectacular sunrise or sunset, um, when uh, you see trees in bloom for the first time of the year, um, when you see people who look very different, when you see a friend who has recovered from a serious illness, when you see a gathering of Jews, that's great, a large gathering, when you see a friend after a year's absence, when you see someone distinguished in Torah or in worldly wisdom, 
There are also brachot for scent. Uh, you, the one you're most familiar with, when would you say the bracha for sniffing something? Havdalah, right. Okay, but what if you smell fresh, fragrant shrubs or trees? There's a bracha. Or fragrant fruit. Or fragrant oil or perfume. And there's a bracha as well when you go to places, when you visit the land of Israel, when you come to the area of the Kotel, um, if you come to a place where someone from your family was rescued. There are brachot when you wear new clothes or when you first use a new item, right? So there are all these brachot of experience and among them is what happens when you see a monarch. So the bracha upon seeing royalty is identified in the Talmud, in Masechet Brachot. When you see a Jewish king, you say, Baruch Shechalak Nichvodo Lereav. Praised are you, sovereign of space and time, who has shared divine glory with those who have awe of you. And if you see a non-Jewish monarch, you say, Baruch Shenatan Michvodo Libriotav. You're to be praised, you're to be blessed, you've given from your divine glory to flesh and blood. So I want to tell you a personal story about a Shabbat table many, many years ago. Um, it was going to be the Afra of a friend of mine, and I was staying in Manhattan. Josette and I at that point were living in New Jersey. I was staying in Manhattan. She wasn't interested in coming. And I was staying with Professor Seymour Siegel of the Jewish Theological Seminary. Rabbi Siegel was one of my teachers. Um, and we came to his house and two things occurred that were strange. He wasn't there in his apartment. The door was unlocked. We walked in, a number of us. And only later did he come out of the sauna. <laughs> so that was the first thing. We were sitting at the table and we're having a discussion because Rabbi Siegel had just been invited. He was part of a leading edge of new uh, Jewish thinkers who were associated with the Republican Party. He had just been invited to give a blessing at the inauguration of the President of the United States. It was the second inauguration of Richard Nixon. And the table discussion was on whether he should go or not. And they had two parts to the discussion. One was, should you go to the inauguration of Richard Nixon, who Everything was now just coming up about Watergate and stuff like that. But the, the other was, if you go, how are you going to go? How are you going to get there? And what does it mean to participate in a big public event on Shabbat? So ultimately he did go, and he walked, and he gave that bracha 
when you see a monarch. Okay, he applied the bracha about monarchy and kingship to the United States presidency. And then there were two things that happened as a result of that. The New York Times printed it. And on Monday, you could see Hasidim going through all the trash cans on the New York City subway because they wanted to retrieve the paper because God forbid that God's name, which was printed by the New York Times, should be in the garbage. And it had to be taken out and had to be buried properly. The second thing that occurred was this whole debate. Is the presidency the equivalent of the monarchy? So, you can ask Rabbi Steve what he's done, um, but I've been with the Prime Minister of Canada, and I've been with the Governor General, and, and I got this pin from the Governor General, and I didn't say this bracha. Was I wrong? When I've been with the President of the State of Israel, I didn't say this bracha. Was I wrong? I think that the bracha was developed and articulated when a sovereign was truly powerful. But if it's a constitutional monarchy, or where people actually determine who their leader will be by election, I'm not so sure whether that bracha is appropriate. So I want to ask you, should I have recited it for Canadian or American leaders? I'm interested because Rabbi Wernick, you can ask him, he was um, uh, in, in uh, the Oval Office at one point, or in a meeting with uh, one of the presidents. Do you recite it for that president? Would you only think it's okay, but on a ceremonial occasion, but not, you know, like any other occasion? But if I'm with the president, is that ceremonial? Not for him, but maybe for me, right? If I'm with the prime minister or the governor general, it was ceremonial. But I felt that they're like me. They're not like from God, you know, where you get the idea of the divine right of kings. So should Rabbi Siegel have recited that bracha? Should Rabbi Mervis recite that bracha? And now I'm going to go and take it just one step further. And again, I'm going to open this up for just four, three or four minutes of your reaction because I want there to be a nice time for Musaf. Should we in Canada be part of a country that has a monarchy? Okay, so there are two questions that I've raised for you. When is it appropriate to recite the bracha itself? And then a larger political question of should we, be, uh, should we have a monarch for Canada? I will just say that when I first came here, which is now almost 30 years ago, and we had this prayer that we said at the time that we asked for God's blessing on the queen and her leaders and rulers, etc., in Canada, it was very strange for me. Okay, because I was coming from the United States.
Now, I've been in Canada a long time, I'm used to the idea, I even use coins with her picture. Of course, now they're going to have to change, you know, what's on the bill and what's on the coin. But what do you think? Should they say the bracha? And should we in Canada have a monarchy? Okay, here you have, here, does the coronation, like, it draws on all these biblical ideas. The oil that's poured over his head comes from Jerusalem. Um, you have uh, uh, the, the blessing, Yivarechecha Hashem, may God bless you and keep you um, and protect you. Uh, those are recited as part of the ceremony, right? So there's a, it's clearly... Look, it's an Anglican ceremony, but it clearly has, and it has therefore deep Christian roots, which are also very deep Jewish roots. Right, so there is a tradition that the stone on which everything is going to take place is the stone on which Yaakov in Genesis slept and had the dream, right? It's not our tradition, but it is their tradition. Okay. That that stone It's been returned. Okay. Okay, I don't want to get into a debate about the stones, the royal stones, the you know, the rolling stones, the royal stones. <laughs> David, don't go on too long because they can't hear you on the... That, I'm going to interrupt you and I'm just going to try to summarize it. So what David was saying is that for Jews in the UK and perhaps in the Commonwealth, having a positive relationship with the monarchy is actually very important at a time of rising anti-Semitism. And that when um, the prince's son, at that time he was the prince, when that happened and he wore a Nazi uniform, the prince had him speak at that point with the chief rabbi in order to try to understand what that all meant.
and why people were reacting so negatively. So there is that. I, I, I noticed that none of you wanted to enter into the Jewish question about whether he should say the bracha. So we'll leave that for Kiddush. I want to wish everyone a Shabbat Shalom. Also, if you're interested more in the Kohanim stuff from today's Torah portion, uh, if you go to uh, page 1000-something, you'll find a long essay in the back by me um, about Kohen and Levi in ancient Israel. Um, but uh, we did sing God Save the King. I don't know how you felt about that. So we'll leave it at that. But certainly, there were some people here whose roots are very much in England, and I think they really appreciated it. Shabbat Shalom.